Very good. If you would take your Bibles, please, and head over to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians for what we want to do our Bible study in this evening. The book of Ephesians. If you haven't been with us last week, we said we want to start a new series. A series on getting a grip. The idea of getting a grip on different issues that we might be struggling with, we might be battling with. And so what I wanted to do the first week here tonight and the next couple of weeks is getting a grip on our anger. The reason I want to talk about it, because it's not a problem for us, we just want to help this to be for others, you know, that you might be able to share with them. And so where we were is we pointed out last week that there are multiple different times the Bible talks about this issue, that it recalls it at times, the idea of bitterness, wrath, quick-tempered, a variety of different terms that are used in Scripture, and there's the warning in Scripture that what we need to do is we need to get a handle on this. Ephesians chapter 4 makes this comment where he says in Ephesians chapter 4, starting with down, and we look down to verse, oh, let's get down to about verse 26. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. If we take that verse and we just get some principles out of it, that talk about what does this verse tell us about anger. We said last week that we learned this. We learned that getting angry is a real experience for most everyone. That it's a challenge. It's a problem. It's, it, the wording here keeps on saying, you all be angry. You all do not give place to the devil. It's talking about a universal issue, a universal problem. And you and I need to pause and just say for a second, why is it that so many of us, all of us, have a problem at times with this idea of getting angry, losing our temper, all of a sudden having an issue of, of sometimes being, being bitter towards somebody? How come that is? Why is it that we have an issue? We would say, well, number one, it's because we're all sinners. And this is one of those sins mentioned in the book of Romans that people struggle with. Maliciousness, anger, wrath, bitterness. We're all different by design. Because of our differences, sometimes that frustrates us. And yet by God's design, we're all created in the image of God, and our differences are to complement but that means that maybe we have different opinions. We have different ideas. We have different likes and, and dislikes. And so sometimes that gets the best of us. We would also say this, that you and I have limited control of ourself. James talks about that in many things we offend. And if any offend not in word, he is a perfect individual. Well, none of us are perfect in that sense. So there's probably times we say something that afterwards we regret that we said. And it would cause some hurt, cause some damage. I'm sure that's happened to you, whether it be in a marriage relationship, a parent-child relationship, a sibling relationship, even here. That maybe we've, you know, there's many times on Mondays have our day off. Monday I end up becoming morose because I wish I hadn't said this. I wish I hadn't did, said something this way or that way or joked about something or someone. And so we know that it's a problem that sometimes we lose self-control. Sometimes we lose control of circumstances. And they frustrate us because they didn't go quite the way we wanted. And so we know that that's a problem. We also know that we can be victims of other people's bad choices. We know that there's, like Paul, he was a victim. He got shipwrecked, not because of something he chose to do, but because what the captain and of the ship and the one who was guarding him, they chose by saying, let's go out into the sea at this time of the year when it was a dangerous time to sail. Well, likewise, different individuals, they are victims of choices that, let's take David. David chose not to discipline his kids properly. David chose not to rebuke the one son who raped his sister, his stepsister. As a result, that stirred up anger, that festered in another son who Absalom then goes and kills his brother. 
We know that Absalom, after a while, he, that David wouldn't even talk to him when he came back into the city. And there was 18 months that there was no communication between dad and son, and the son wanted it. His frustration led to the point that he became more and more bitter and angry and led to the rebellion. And so sometimes that happens. And I'm not excusing Absalom's reaction, but we can be affected by other people's conduct and other people's choices. And so we made that observation, and we said, secondly, getting angry is not always sin. It is not always inherently evil. In fact, there are times when it is appropriate to become angry. It says, be angry, it's a command, that it is, there is an appropriate time. And you mentioned last week, you, you brought up the illustration where Jesus was angry. That means it was appropriate for him to be angry in the temple. He was angry with the Sadducees, or the Pharisees, when on the Sabbath day, they didn't want him to be healing somebody. And he was angry over their selfishness. I had a wonderful illustration. Your wife shared it with me this morning. Wanda's parents were deaf individuals. And one day, as her dad was home, another individual came who was deaf, and he was going door to door asking for handouts and charity. And Wanda said her father, she witnessed her father getting very frustrated with this person who was having a handicap but living basically on other people's charity and not willing to go out and work. And her father, he said, got very upset and scolded the man, talked with the man, and in time befriended the man. And his anger proved to get this man to think and to rethink this idea that he was using his handicap uh, to get other people's sympathy so that he could get funding. And as Wanda's dad dealt with him, his anger proved that that man ended up changing. They became friends and he was able to minister him and to help him to turn his life around. There are moments that it's appropriate. There are times when you as a parent, it's appropriate to rebuke, to be strong in the sense of this is wrong. You cannot lie. You cannot be disrespectful. And so we made those comments that it is an opportunity that God might use where the Word of God says he was angry at times. But the reality is most often we respond wrong in anger. Most often we do where it says be angry and stop sinning. That's where we struggle. That's where the believers in Ephesus were struggling. He has to tell them to stop practicing sin in your anger. Stop giving place to the devil. And so we know that that's an issue. And we stopped last week and right in this section near, near the section saying, when is anger wrong? And I just gave you several different ideas. You probably, with your expertise in Scripture, you probably can glean more. But we pointed out that when we get angry for no good justifiable reason, Jesus says, he that is angry without a cause, he's in danger of, ju- of the judgment. We know that when we overreact with wrong reactions, throwing things, breaking things, you know, like the football coach that has made the news this week, when his team lost at the end of the game last week, and he smashed his computer and it went viral over the Internet. And today they said he sat very somber and still in the booth. Okay? So we know that sometimes it can be wrong where we might say, Aha! we might say you fool to somebody, derogatory terms. Or we become bitter, filled with wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. The word is blasphemia, as we talked about in Sunday school. And tear people down. That's wrong. That's wrong. We made this observation that when we retaliate, you know, somebody hurts us, we've got to hurt them back ten times more. We know that that's wrong. We know that it's wrong when we let our anger to fester and we don't deal with the offense and we give place to the devil. We know that our anger is wrong 
when we refuse or delay to try to bring restitution, reconciliation to a, to a relationship that is hurting. It, it would be wrong for me to be upset with Deb because she cooked something wrong and burnt it, and so I'm not going to talk to her for three days. She might appreciate the silence, but no, it, that would be wrong. That would be inappropriate. And so we have this idea that the reconciliation is very important. We're going to talk about that as we go along. When we needlessly provoke kids to anger, that's sinful on the part of the fathers, part of the parents. So we have all these different possibilities where it controls us, not it, and when we stumble others. So we know that anger, and some of us, we, we know these are times that it bothers us and we stumble and we fail. Let's do where we didn't get to last week. Let's pick up new, new, new material. We are personally responsible to deal with our anger. We are personally responsible to deal with our anger the right way, and we're able to do it. He says in this text, you all be angry, but you all must stop sinning and giving place to the devil. By the very idea that he is commanding the believers that you need to stop doing it is telling them that they have the ability to stop. To not give place to the devil. They, we, have the ability to change so that we don't give place to the devil. You know, the, the silly illustration that we've used multiple times. That it, it, it can happen so quickly and so easily that all of a sudden we're very upset. We're very angry about something and our phone rings and we say, hello, in a sweet voice. It is amazing how we can turn it on and turn it off. And we can control it. But yet we give the excuse, I can't help it. You can help it. You can help. Think this through with me. How do many people handle their anger? How do many people express their anger? What are some different ways that people express their anger? Yell. Curse. Throw something. The way they drive. drive. (laughs) We have all these ideas that some do just what you said. Okay, That's the word clamor in Ephesians. This idea of yelling, attacking, cussing, seeking retaliation. Do some people go to the silent mode? I'll punish others by not talking to them. Or I'm just going to retreat and I'm going to make you feel bad because I am not responding, I'm not communicating, I'm not doing anything. Some will just plain deny it. One of the books that I was reading on anger, the, the pastor counselor was talking about, he went to his kids' ball game where they were practicing, and when he pulled up to this baseball game where they were practicing, he pulled into the area next to the field where they were, and he made sure he parked, just like everybody else was parked, but he didn't, didn't think he parked in somebody's driveway at the houses next door, and he was sitting there reading his book. And as he was reading his book, waiting for his daughter's practice to get over with, all of a sudden he heard some tires squeal, and he looked in his mirror, and somebody was you know, doing a louie right behind him, and he could tell that they were very upset, and then that person pulled and parked opposite. And he thought, well, some, that man, there's something going on. So he got out of his car, and the guy got out of his car, and the guy started saying something about, you know, people parking and blocking my driveway. You know, that's terrible, and he was cursing and cussing. And so the preacher thought, oh, he was looking my direction, and he went to the front of the car and looked. He he wasn't blocking any driveway. Sir, sir, is there something wrong? There's nothing wrong. Sir, wait a minute. You just made comment about blocking the driveway. I'm not in front of your driveway. Is there something I'd help you with? Leave me alone. I'm not angry. Do, Do you ever do that? Where you say to somebody, I'm not angry. Just, you know, be quiet. 
and you deny it, and you don't want to deal with it, that's an inappropriate way of dealing with anger. You're just ignoring it and just going on. There are, as some authors have put, there are several misconceptions about anger that we want to just explore for just a couple minutes here. The misconceptions go this way. One of them is how to deal with anger. Some would say this, if you ignore your hurts and your anger, they will go away and not cause problems later on. So if you're hurt, just forget it. Just do nothing about it. Don't say anything. Don't risk any kind of a confrontation. Just ignore it and you'll get over it. You know, that doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. Here, one author, as he's by writing about it, he says, Back in the 50s and 60s, many stores gave out S&H green stamps. Any of you remember that? What would you do with the green stamps? You would save them. For every piece of grocery you got, you would get certain number of stamps. You would put them in a book. And when you, you licked them and put them in the book, what would you do later on? You retrieve the book for different items. Okay? And so he says... Uh, in the 50s and 60s, many stores gave out S&H green stamps and blue chip stamps as a reward for shopping at their stores. When you filled up the book of stamps, you could cash the book in for mer- some merchandise. I call people who store up injustices stamp savers. This person is the one who carefully saves up each little grievance, annoyance, or irritation. He tells himself that these aggravations are not enough to deal with in and of themselves. If asked, he would probably deny that there was anything bothering him at all. He may tell himself that the problem is so small that he shouldn't make an issue out of it. He should probably be able to just forget it and move on. But in fact, he doesn't forget. He pastes a stamp of anger somewhere in his head. When the book is full, he impulsively cashes it in. The last stamp may have been a very minor incident, but out comes this pent-up anger rage that baffles the recipient and sometimes the stamp saver himself. This outbreak may then be justified by a detailed cataloging of all the past offenses. I I remember counseling years and years and years ago. Somebody came in and they had a tablet, a tablet of multiple pages of grievances against the person that came with them. It had started at the wedding and everything was written out. Do you argue much? No, we don't argue, but I have all these issues. That person was extremely upset, frustrated, quite frankly, bitter. Why? Well, I don't have any problem, but I just stored them all, even wrote them down. So what we want to do is we we want to get rid of that misconception that that's an appropriate way to deal with it. If you just let your anger out quickly and get it out of your system, then it's done and over with. I'll just explode. I'll be like a shotgun. I'll blow things away, and then I'm okay. But the issue is, the problem is, what? Who? You blew something away. You shotgunned with your anger and probably wounded some other person. It is not biblical to be angry and to sin by yelling and screaming and carrying on. Okay, that's just wrong. And so what we know that it hurts other people. You may feel better that you expressed it, but what about the kids? What about your spouse? What about your coworkers that were the brunt of that anger? This, this is wrong. It's a misconception, and people operate by it, but it's wrong. It won't cost you anything emotionally to just be nice. Never get upset. Be nice to everybody. Avoid confrontation at all costs. Men are really good at this. 
We're experts at this. That we don't want to deal with the issues that bother us when our wife says, what's wrong? Nothing. Well, you know, something must... No, nothing's wrong. And yet it is. It can be. Here's a story of a Mr. Jones, a 58-year-old executive, sat in my office and told me that he wanted out of his marriage of 32 years. He felt he could cope better with divorce than with his marriage from here on. He described himself as a person who wanted peace at any price after yielding for years to the pressures and demands of his wife. He was, as he put it, always capitulating to his wife. Mr. Jones said that he faked the harmony but always resented the deception. He concluded that it would take years to work out all the problems in his marriage, that he didn't have that much time left in his life. All the issues that bothered him, there's not enough time. For the first 20 years of my married life, I I wasn't always aware of what was going on inside. He became conscious of the unhealthy relationship 12 years ago, but hadn't really altered his behavior. And so for the last six months, he'd been having physical symptoms of anxiety, etc., etc. However, they disappeared three weeks ago when he told his wife he was going to be leaving shortly. Mr. Jones illustrates yet another form that people camouflage their anger. The don't make waves, peace at any price. This individual will take the blame for everything, even things for which he is probably not responsible. They can be self-effacing, never appear to be angry, but the peace is often a sham. He often has psychosomatic complaints that serve as a means of dissipating the anger. This kind of person is frequently married to someone who is more aggressive, who tyrannizes the peace-at-any-price individual. This person may think he is carrying out the Beatitudes because he is always turning the other cheek, but in reality, it's a poor counterfeit. Sooner or later, the results of this kind of behavior will catch up to him as he will, again, explode or quit. So this isn't a realistic way to live. Here's another Another misconception. If you express your hurt or anger to someone who hurt you, your relationship may suffer. And I don't want to risk that. I don't want to tell them that it really hurt me. I don't want to tell them that this is something that, that I just really get frustrated with. That, it, that what they say or how they do this or whatever, it, it, is, it is really causing me stress. If I say something, it might wreck our relationship. Well, my thoughts in in response to that is, this isn't biblical reconciliation. Reconciliation is getting the issue out in the open and coming to a point where you're forgiving them and, and vice versa. It's real repentance. It's not covering it up. It's not saying, just go away. You know, the, if you say, well, but what about, what about winning back that brother? To win back that brother, and you have to go, Matthew 18, we'll talk about next week, you have to go and you have to deal with it. You have to boldly but graciously, compassionately. You have to go in meekness and talk to them about that. What happens if they explode? What happens if they don't respond? We'll talk more about it next week. But the bottom line is, if they explode and they react wrong, that is their concern between them and the Lord. You have to do what is right on your part. You need to go confront with compassion, with meekness. And then the bottom line in my mind is, this may sound very very, blunt, But if that person will be bitter towards you because you came and expressed something that was a hurt and they become angry and they, listen, their friendship isn't a benefit to you. That's not a benefit. If that's going to cause you to stumble, then you have to rethink that, that, that friendship. Again, we'll talk about that more next week. Okay, if you don't look or feel angry, then there's no anger issues. That's not true. There are a number of believers that I know of personally who look well, they're fine, they sing, they smile, 
they're good, but they still have some hurts. It might be because, in some of the cases, the parents showed great favoritism towards another sibling. And even though they mask it up and they try to be pleasant, for some, it has come to the point that they don't like that sibling. When that sibling's name comes up, they're going to find something to criticize. When that sibling's, you know, comes to visit, they're going to be tense. They're going to be on guard because I'm still dealing with I, my parents and how the favoritism. And that's de- developed some type of bitterness, anger, resentment in their own heart. And to say, well, I'm just going to go to church and forget about it, it doesn't go away. It needs to be dealt with. It needs to be confronted by you and the Spirit of God to be resentful towards somebody else, that, that's inappropriate. Then there's this reaction that some people, some people might say, losing my temper is not that bad. Everyone else does it. I've heard this multiple times. It's not that bad. You know, so-and-so does it, so-and-so does it, so therefore, if I lose my temper, it's okay. Just because others do something, it's not right. In fact, we go a little bit further. Just because my anger response isn't as big as somebody else's, that doesn't make my anger response. I didn't put my fist through the wall, but he did. It's still wrong if you're responding in the wrong way. There's, um, There's a couple that I knew years and years and years and years ago. When we were in school, there was a couple that that was headed for ministry as well. And uh, sweet people, sweet people. But they were doing the same thing that most of us were doing. They're working a full-time job, going to full-time school. The wife had to sacrifice a lot. They were having little kids while they were in that situation. And the wife began to resent the idea that the husband was basically gone all the time at work, at school, and then they wanted to get involved with church ministry. And as time went by and they entered into the ministry, she became more and more resentful that she wasn't getting first place attention, that he wasn't focusing on her the way he should. And she became to, to a point where she got angry with the church. She resented the church the people. Somebody might call and that would frustrate her. Some deacons meetings, she would be frustrated that they would go late. And so as time went by and their kids were getting a little bit older, her resentment, she tried to express it to her husband and it came out in a different way. She started taking out her anger on the kids. And so what she became as time went by verbally and sometimes physically abusive to the kids The husband's response as he became aware of this was, it's really not her fault, I'm the cause of it. And so he didn't confront it. He didn't challenge her in this. He didn't do anything because I'll just have to work better at giving my wife more time, which wasn't working. And she just became more and more caught up in this idea of this is the way I'm going to handle my anger. I'm going to take it out on the kids. Years went by. Guess where the kids are when it comes to walking with the Lord? They want nothing. They want nothing at all, anything to do with Jesus Christ. And the bottom line is the husband was excusing it. The husband was just saying, her anger isn't as bad as it could be. Wow. I mean, bottom line is you cannot excuse sin at any time with this type of a thought. You just can't. Then you have those who just say, I'm an angry person. I'm a redhead, therefore I'm angry. Or I'm 
what nationality gets angry? Okay, see, I don't even have to say it. You know it, okay? You know, different, you know, usually the Irish are said to be quick-tempered individuals or you name it. And so this is part of my makeup. I can't help it. That brings us back to the thought that we were saying, anger is your choice. The way you respond is your choice. And God is saying to you, no matter what it is, even if it's in a moment, you are supposed to be in control. A man that doesn't have control is like a city that has no walls. And so we come back to this idea is God doesn't have to take us just the way we are. God says that we are to work out our salvation, become holy because he is holy, as we've been talking about in that one Sunday school class. We have responsibility to put off the anger. We have the response. We put off what he said in chapter 4, verse 31. He says, put off all these different issues. In fact, let's just highlight them like we looked at them this morning, where he says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you, he says, with all malice. And so we are, God's holding us responsible, saying that we can do this and we're to grow. So don't excuse it. That brings us to number five. And the observation, wrong anger is destructive. It's destructive, it is dangerous. Neither give place to the devil. It says in the text then that as we hang on to anger or express it wrong, we are giving opportunity for the devil to have a heyday in our life. Let me ask you this. What does the devil want to do with you? Does he want good for you? No. What does he want to do? He wants to destroy you. And this is one of the ways he can do it. By, and God even brings it up. He says, this is one of the tools that Satan is using. Anger that is not controlled, anger that is whatever, expressed the wrong way, and you give Satan an opportunity. He, he clearly mentions this one item, that anger is an open door for demonic influence. And so what we need to do is we need to say, hey, wait a minute, we got to be careful. And you know this is true. I can give you all the stats here. I can put it up. Anger can affect people's health, right? Yes, no? Okay, well, let's go. Okay, those who have chronic anger issues are five times normal risk of heart attacks. Here's one. 36,000 heart attacks a year are triggered by an anger event. Here's a statistic. 54% of stroke victims report that they had an anger episode right before the stroke occurred. Here's a statistic. Anger issues are known to adversely affect immune systems, cause headaches, great fatigue. Let me ask it this way. After you've had an argument, how do you feel? Physically. Worn out? Okay. After you've had a frustrating time and just a huge conflict, do you walk away and say, Oh, wow, I could just take on the day. Okay. Most of us, that's not the case. Most of us were exhausted. Most of us were tense. Most of us were, were so caught we don't sleep well. Most of us, we've got a headache, which would turn into a migraine. Here's, the, here's what happens in crime when it comes to anger. Statistically, the majority of all homicides are done by a family member who is angry. Statistically, 40% of women murdered were killed by a partner who was angry at the time. 20 people per minute in the United States are physically abused by their partner. Most of the time that it happens, the partner is angry when he's doing the abuse or she is doing the abuse. One in seven children is abused by a parent or guardian. 1,700 died in 2020 from physical abuse. Most all of the cases, the person doing the attacking was angry towards that individual. Here is one of the major areas of growing concern about abuse in America. It's called elder abuse. 
17% of the elderly are victims of, who are, uh, of the elderly are victims of abuse by an upset caregiver. This includes people that could be in a facility or they are being taken care of by family members or others at home. And you say, that is just a tremendous, that, that should never happen. Could it easily happen that you get frustrated with a parent? If any of you have ever had to deal with people that are de- having dementia or Alzheimer's, okay, and you're dealing with that, can that create frustration in your own heart? Absolutely. If you've never been there, pray you don't. Because you're all of a sudden dealing with an adult who is, in reality, a child. And you know how easy it is to deal with children. (laughs) And so they don't listen or they become obstinate, and now they're not a little kid. Now you're dealing with the big people. And so it's, it's a growing concern, the frustrations that people with their anger. We know David. David intended to kill Nabal and others. We know that he was even given to that. There are statistics that are given multiple different places from different, the AMA and other different groups, that are saying 80 to 85% of all professional counseling is rooted in some type of an anger issue. Frustration, angry towards a parent, towards somebody else, towards their circumstances. Tremendous impact. Anger can have an adverse effect. Bottom line is, is Satan good at destroying families, churches, ministries? Can he destroy testimonies by your anger? Yes. Can he destroy missions ministries because partners get angry with each other? It it just, there's no end to this. And Satan's not done and he will continue, and he will, he will keep on fostering this idea of using a tool that is very effective in believers' lives. So what do we do? Where do we go with this? Where, you know, we know and you are going to, you, you've got, I would think you would agree with me biblically, it's an issue. Practically, it's an issue. So what do we do? We're supposed to put off and put on. What steps can we take? Let me suggest based on different, multiple different passages and principles from the Word of God, not one singular text, let me suggest some practical ways that you can implement in your own life so that you can get a better grip on anger, on temper, on emotionally, you know, whether it be bitterness or whatever. Let's start off with these. How many use the letter P for just to help us out to remember all these items? And we won't get through them this evening, but that's okay. I think, number one, you've got to start with this. You've got to start with purpose. Purpose in your heart. That is, you have got to determine that you're not going to continue the SOS, same old stuff. That you need to change. That it is not right for you to explode when you're driving. It's not proper for you to use derogatory terms, to use the Lord's name in vain. Purpose in your heart that you are going to make effort to change and to grow. It will not happen if you don't purpose, if you don't say, I want to change. It just won't happen automatically. It's not going to happen if your spouse or, or family member says they hope you change. You have got to determine and say, I want to have some change in my life. That would lead you to come to this conclusion biblically. Reckon yourselves dead to the body of sin. That's the idea of let you determining, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. It is you determining you're going to yield your members as instruments of un, not unto unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves to God as members, as, and uh, your members as instruments of righteousness. 
You determine. The word reckon is you've got to put it in your mind. This is what I want to do. So you purpose. Number two, you prepare. What I'm talking about these next couple thoughts is not when the moment of, t- of temptation comes, but what do you do ahead of time? What do we do tonight? What do we do tomorrow morning before we have an episode, before we run into an issue? You need to prepare. Preparing is you've got to go to the Lord. You've got to ask Him. A purpose I want to change. Lord, you need to help me. This is a problem that I have. I have a problem, and use whatever it may be. I have a problem that I cuss and curse when I get angry. I have a problem that I lash out at family members. I say things inappropriately. I throw things. I, I go into, the, into a hissy fit. And in my anger, God, this is wrong. Please help me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you remember what we talked about in, in John? That Jesus said, you can, without me, you can do nothing. You cannot produce the fruits. So what we talked about when we were doing the series on the believer's armor is you have to go to the Lord because he's the one who will strengthen you and give you power. Where this starts is in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. You have got to go to the Lord and say, God, help me. And the way that, God, you can help me is let me have the filling of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit that we talk about in chapter 5, verse 18, where you read these words, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The idea is you are yielding yourself. Spirit of God, help me in this area. Spirit of God, I want to be yielded that I respond, not selfishly, but I want to respond spiritually. So you need to prepare by praying about this matter. I remind you that if you're filled with the Spirit, he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. He says, and if we live by the Spirit, we walk by the Spirit. If we're born again, we need the Spirit's help. Did you catch all of these, these virtues, these fruits? Most all of them are dealing with you're not responding in anger. That you are saying, I want to respond with self-control and compassion, not this outburst of anger or rage. It'll only come by the filling of the Spirit. It'll only make sure that you are right with God and that you are saying, God, please help me. As well in your preparation, you need to take the precautionary measures. What is some of the precautionary measures that Jesus told the disciples on the last evening? He says, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. But he says you need to do something because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What did he tell him to do? Do you remember? Pray. Pray. You've got to pray and you've got to pray. Remember what Jesus said when they couldn't cast out the demons? He said this can only come by prayer and fasting. By prayer and fasting. Ahead of time. Not at the very moment, but ahead of time saying, this God is something that I am struggling with. I need your assistance. So if you're going to prepare, let me propose something that would be very difficult but very beneficial. Why don't you fast periodically about getting victory over your temper? If I fast, I'll be hangry. Make it a spiritual battle, which it is. And practice what God says are the helpful tools. Can you think of any other precautionary measure you can take so that when you are tempted, you are able to resist? Memorize Scripture. When Jesus was tempted, we've talked about this the last few weeks. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what did he do in response? He quoted Scripture. 
He brought back to mind the Scripture. So what you and I need to do is take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Thy word have I that I might not... Okay, so pray fast. Memorize verses. Mark down the verses. That, that's, that's going to behoove you to say, okay, what verses can I memorize? You might see some as we go through this. Memorize them. Put them in your car so that the next time somebody cuts you off, you have that by the visor, you can just bring it down real quick and say, okay, let me do this rather than... <clears throat> so prepare. Prepare ahead of time. Prevent. Prevent. This is, again, before the occasion. Before the occasion, prevent. It says in Scripture, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we've talked about that. Putting off different things, putting on the Lord. And make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust of the flesh. So you ask yourself some really important questions here. You have to examine your life. Examine to find out when are you prone to getting frustrated, to becoming angry. If you say all the time, I'm not sure what to tell you. Okay. But if you can identify certain things. Here, let me, let me give you some statistical information, okay? What group of people do most of us experience or express anger towards? What group of people? Family. Why? Why is most of our anger and frustration in a family setting? Because they what? <laughs> they don't do what I ask them. What other reasons? You're, you're what? You're comfortable with them. Is it easy to let our hair down with family? Okay, bottom line. I can be talking to Deb differently than I'm talking to you. Because she'll put up with me. But if I said certain things, you know, towards her, and she puts up with me, you would... You wouldn't put up with me. <laughs> okay, so it would be easy that way. It'd be easy. Well, what's another reason why family is impossible? It's time. It's time. You spend a lot of time. So we'd look and say, okay, our closest family members are the one that we express, we show, we struggle with. We spend the most time with them. The idea we're used to them, we let our hair down. The idea that we have high expectations of our family. I expect... I expected my four-year-old to act like... <laughs> I wanted them to do better than a four-year-old. I thought that my kids should play quietly. I thought my kids should immediately hear me every time I speak. I expected my kids to keep their room clean all the time, even when they were teenagers. Okay? I had these high expectations of them. Okay? And so we, we do this with family. And when they don't do what we ask family to do, we get upset with them. And here's another one that often creates family issues. They're trying to change us and we're trying to change them. And so it just creates this conflict and this challenge. And by the way, are you parents working at trying to change and incorporate some qualities in your kids' lives that they're resisting? Yes, no. Does it ever? Then we were the only ones. Nobody else struggled with that. Our kids, they had a quality of laziness. We thought that had to be corrected. So we worked at, you guys can't be lazy. We had a quality that you got, you know, they weren't always considerate of other people. They might even walk up to somebody and say, wow, you look fat, you gained weight. Okay. 
And we wanted that quality of, of expressing whatever came to their mind to stop and to become gracious and to be thoughtful of others. So I'm so glad that none of you had that battle. You know, God bless you for that. But there's the trying to change at times positively. Okay, let me ask you this question. Statistically, what time of the day are most people most vulnerable to having a conflict in their home? Some are saying evening. Some are saying mornings. Late afternoons. Well, so far we got 24-7, okay? <laughs> there are statistically, there are a couple moments of the day that are, that are shown time and time. This is a vul- really vulnerable moment. Let me, let me show you what they have, okay, in their studies. The top two times are this. A half hour before you're all trying to get out of the house. Can you, can you understand why that would be? Okay. Oh, let's take the last half hour before church this morning. Okay, how did it go? Okay, what, what, what typically happens that makes it... Nobody, nobody has these problems. Nobody wants to talk. <laughs> By the way, if you express what others do, that'll help others think, I'm not the only one. What were you going to say, Laura? Oh, Michelle, I'm sorry. Finding their shoes. Wait a minute. Your kids are old enough that they know where they, they drop their clothes. Your oldest is what? Eight. And the youngest is going to be four this week? Okay. Kids eight to four, they, they know where all their stuff is. What else happens right in that last half hour? What's that? The dog gets out. Okay. What's that? Their last minute to a bathroom? Okay. I always, my kids... It was always once they got all dressed up. Then they have to go to the bathroom. So I asked you two minutes ago. Nah. But now I really have to. And it's, Hold it for a day. Uh, you know, so. Uh, did somebody else say something in the morning? We know why. Because in the morning we're all under the gun. We want to get out. And it's just, it's amazing what can't be found at that minute. And we didn't prepare the night before, and it's an issue. What's the other, these two are top two. Do you want to guess when the other time is? Right before dinner. Right before dinner. It's the half hour right before the supper time. Why? Hangry? Tired? Okay, you, we're talking about typically everybody's just coming home. Okay? And... We're finding out things weren't done that were supposed to get done. You know, expectations weren't met. And the kids are telling you what they got to do at school tomorrow or what happened. And you're going, you did what at school? The principal is coming to our house with police? Okay, so you've got these moments that are happening. And we get home from work and we want to just... And she wants me to help with the kids. I worked all day. I don't want to talk to the kids. I just want to come home, put my feet up. You bring me something to drink. And I just sit there and you say, Lord, what more can I do? And she goes, Wang, get in here. <laughs> okay. So those moments happen. Okay. 
And so we have those, those are vulnerable times. The next most vulnerable time that is, typically, is right before bedtime. Why is it in many homes it's a fiasco at bedtime? They don't want to go to bed. And I wish they had gone to bed five hours earlier. Okay. And so we know that these are... So, so if we're going to be precautionary, preventive, what do we do? You can't erase these hours out of your day. You can't just say, get rid of all the kids. Okay. You know, we just, we'll go to bed and they got the house. You can't do that. Please don't do that. Okay. So what do you do? Okay, if you know that this is the troublesome time, take, make no provision for the flesh. You've got to make some precautions. The precautions could be very simple. The precautions could be, okay, maybe what I do at these, part, these moments is I need, I need to be you know, really thinking about this. How can we calm down? I need to make sure that I know that this is when my button's going to be pushed. And if I'm prepared for my button to be pushed, it won't push as much. Maybe what I need to do is, is you know, uh, and I'm throwing this out. We, we had one of, the, one of our kids was this way. One of our kids, they could eat at the table. Five minutes later, they're hungry. And they could snack, 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 snack. They were a bottomless pit. And what we found out, and one of our granddaughters is the same way now, that her metabolism is running so high that they use up what they've eaten. And hangry is a real issue. And it's, it's not psychosomatic as much as there's a physical issue here. Is it wrong to let the kids get a snack? You know, throw them a peanut here and there. You know, just to keep them calm because they become... There's little things you can do. There's things that we can think about. We can say, okay, let's avoid the anger triggers. And so we start with this question. Okay. When do you... You... When do you find that you are most easily provoked? When's the, those occasions? You know, and then if I'm going to be preventive, I want to prevent those occasions. I have people tell me this. I get so ticked when I watch the news. I have a very simple solution. I get so angry as I'm listening to talk radio. Turn it off. I get so angry when I'm really hungry. Get a Snickers bar, okay? <laughs> I get so angry when I watch sports. Don't watch it. Get another team. <laughs> I invite you to join in on the Vikings, okay? <laughs> Father, help us as we just think these thoughts and walk away. Help us to really be cautious and focused. And as we pick up next week, help us to have a good week of getting a grip on our tempers better than what we did. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. We'll pick up here next week.